0: forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors now as a kid I never could quite understand that Uh, forgive us our debts because I grew up on a farm and um, we raised beef and beef cattle and wheat and um, most most years we had a debt and so the idea of forgiving us our debts never seemed to really work if we prayed for it Uh, but for somehow it had to be right, so you know, I just kind of accepted it. Didn't understand it. And then they changed the word from debts to trespasses. Now, trespassing was something that you, was a sign you put up on a fence post on your farm to keep people from coming into your farm. Don't, n- no trespassing were the signs. And so, wow, that was even a little more confusing. Forget our trespassers. You know, you didn't exactly want to do that. Uh, but then they changed it to sins. Ha, huh, I finally got it, and uh, since then, I've kind of figured out how it all fits together, and all three of the words make a little sense. I still like sins the best. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning, and we pray that you'll guide us through these thoughts as we think about what you wanted to say to us when you gave us your this prayer, how you were trying to instruct us and how you were trying to guide us with your word, and we pray that we'll understand prayer just a little bit more today because of these, this phrase. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the great illustrations in scripture for me, and one of my favorite stories, is found in John chapter 8. And so I'm going to ask you to, if you want to follow along, you can, I don't think I put it on the screen. Maybe I did. But anyway, you can either follow on the screen if it's there, and if it's not, don't follow it on the screen, and you can just follow it in your own Bible. Uh, but I want to just tell you the story from my perspective, how kind of I see this. Now, Jesus had been up in the mountain. Uh, to pray early in the morning, as he came down into the city, into Jerusalem, and made his way to the temple, the sun was just coming up. And, um, uh, as he was there, he made his way, and people had been listening to him over the last few days, and so, they expected him to show up <clears throat> with something new to say. And so they gathered around, it wasn't a big crowd at first, but it began to grow as as the, the sun came up, and as people made their way. And, um, uh, he was sitting there on the steps of the temple, and can't you just picture it? Here's Jesus, and here's a bunch of people, and he's talking to them, and he's saying some great things, and they're listening. And then all of a sudden, down at the end of the street, the end of the block on Jerusalem Way, comes a bunch of men around the corner, and they're just having a, they're just making a fit. They're all upset, and they're screaming and hollering and shouting and. And so you can imagine everybody's attention was drawn to them to say, well, what's going on? And the closer they got, the more they realized that these were some of the, these were some of the religious folks, the, the high priests and the Pharisees and the religious mucky mucks, you know? And they were coming down the street, and it appeared that there was somebody in the midst of them that nobody could really see who it was until they got right up at the steps. And they take this woman and they throw her down right in front of Jesus. Can you see the scene? Everybody's listening, everybody's watching. One of the Pharisees steps back and he said, now Jesus according to the laws of Moses someone caught in the very act of adultery as this woman was this morning is to be stoned to death. What do you think? Now I figured that it, if she was an adulteress there had to be an adulterer, right? But he wasn't anywhere to be found. Nobody knew who he was. But she was there and she had been caught in the very act. A little muddy but it was there. Okay. Jesus kneels down on the step and he takes his finger and begins to kind of doodle in the dirt. Now, kind of just kind of a little bit of an affront to these religious folks. And they say, Jesus, did you not hear me? We said, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery this morning, and we want to know what you think we should do with her. The law of Moses says we should stone her, but what do you think? Jesus steps up and looks at him, and he said, sorry guys, I didn't realize you were so important, and that you didn't understand, but... And then he knelt back down, and he begins to draw on the dirt again. Now, I don't know what he wrote. I don't know what he drew. Nobody does. But maybe, just maybe, he began to write names. You think? Like Nathaniel. (laughs) N-A-T-H-A-N-A-L. Or Simon. We don't know what he wrote. But whatever it was, it worked. Because it says then slowly, one by one, from the youngest to the oldest, they begin to leave. They skipped out. They left beside the corners of this temple. And here was Jesus with this woman. She's all covered up under her under her clothes and afraid to do anything, move or say anything. But she peeks out because he gets quiet and as she peeks out from underneath her robe expecting to see the feet of a bunch of religious leaders, you know, well manicured, clean. Instead she sees the feet of one, one man. Kind of rough and dirty and probably pretty well calloused, but she sees those feet, and so then Jesus says to her, as he reaches down and lifts her up, woman, where are those who were condemning you? And she kind of looks around, and she said, I don't know. They're not here. They've gone. And Jesus helps her stand, and then he looks her right in the eye, and he says, neither Neither do I condemn you. Go your way. And don't sin anymore. So many experiences in life leave us with a lot of emotional baggage, don't they? But relationships, they may be bad relationships with parents. They may be Difficult relationships with children, unfair relationships with an employer who did us wrong. Or maybe a painful relationship with a spouse or a best friend or someone who you had invested time with and they walked away. In those situations, we oftentimes build walls around ourselves for what we think will protect us from those folks, keep us from having any touch with them. And during all of this wall building, we begin to develop hate for that person or persons. And if we aren't careful, we'll find ourselves drowning in those negative feelings. This kind of emotional bath will keep us from moving on or growing or... Becoming the person that God created us to be. Time can diminish hate. But I'm not sure it ever really heals it. Just pure time. I believe experiencing forgiveness is what gets the hate out permanently. So this morning, let's take a look at this powerful, almost, and I hesitate a little bit to use this word. Almost magical experience of forgiveness. We'll look at a couple of things about forgiveness. First of all God will always forgive us. God will always forgive us. In fact, he's actually much more interested in forgiving us than oftentimes we are in being forgiven. We want to hang on to the hurt. Why in the world do we want to do that? Because we think it might be protection. Or sometimes we think, well, if I hang on to it, maybe I'll be able to use it in another occasion. Forgiveness is one of the great therapies, though, that God has given us. And without it, we would live in a constant state of guilt and fear and pain. And oftentimes those things are never removed from our lives without forgiveness. Remember that story we were just... I was just telling you in John chapter 8, the religious leaders, they had come, been on exacting punishment when Jesus was committed to forgiveness. Remember when he said, neither do I condemn you, go your way, and from now on sin no more? Remember when he said that? You see, Jesus looks at our mistakes like the way we need to look at the mistakes in others, and he didn't judge or penalize this woman but instead he forgave her and he encouraged her to begin a new life. The religious leaders would have made an example of her, berating her, taking advantage of her. Jesus understood our humanity and our imperfections. Over and over again, Jesus deals with human weakness just like that. He he expressed disappointment at at it many times, but he never condemns it. He's in the forgiveness business. And that is why I believe he included these words in this prayer he left for his disciples and us. And, by the way, forgiveness is reciprocal, you know. 1 <coughs> John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. A promise that lets us know we can be forgiven if we just simply admit that we need to be. I have had the privilege of spending a lot of my pastoral life working with people who've experienced divorce, the failure of a marriage. And it's been one of the highlights of my ministry life, and that seems kind of strange probably, but the reason I call it a highlight is that people oftentimes who go through this experience, sometimes seemingly more than others, are so open to receiving that forgiveness and to trying to discover what they can do about the pain. I want you to know that I believe divorce is a sin. And God does too. We both do. God and I believe that, but we love divorced people. The reason it is a sin is because it's not a part of God's perfect plan for our lives. But you and I, in our weaknesses and in our humanity, we don't always live up to God's ideal, do we? No, we we think we sometimes do, but we really don't oftentimes. The standards for man were set by God. And um, when we break the standard, we need a a way to experience forgiveness for that and a restoring of our fellowship with Him. And experiencing God's forgiveness begins when we confess our sins and our wrongdoings. You remember when you maybe disobeyed your parents as a kid? Anybody remember that? Not one hand goes out. (laughs) Well, I've got enough for all of us, okay? I did it too many times, and I can remember certain situations where I thought, oh, man, am I in trouble now. What am I going to do? What's going to happen? And you know, save it to be said, there was always consequence. I never, I never did something that when I got caught doing it and it was wrong, that there weren't some consequences. I had to, I had to pay for it. But it was sure it felt good to be forgiven to know that mom said okay you got to do this but i'll tell you one little story i had a grandparents that lived out in the country from a, well, i lived in the country too but they lived in the other part of the country and um, there was an old empty schoolhouse and uh, we used to go to my grandparents quite frequently on sunday afternoons we would go there and have lunch and spend the afternoon and I had a whole mess of cousins and we were all, a bunch of us were about within a year of each other and so we always were trying to find something to do. Well, one day four or five of us guys went up to this old schoolhouse and we got up there we were looking around and kind of dozing around you walked inside and there was a bunch of books that had been left and a couple of old desks and for some crazy reason we thought we need to break the windows out of this schoolhouse. It would be fun, and so we started throwing books, and we could pop it in a I minute mean, a pop of the glass right out of it, you know? One of the guys picked up a desk and threw it through a glass and took it up at the whole window out on that was a throw. Well, we were doing all kinds, we were just having fun. We finally got tired, and so we just closed up the schoolhouse and meandered down and got back to my grandparents' house and went home. Monday afternoon, my uncle came to our house. He was my cousin's dad. And uh, he didn't come to our house very often during the week. And he started talking to my dad out in the barn and I knew something didn't feel quite right. And when you know it, I was right. It didn't feel right because it wasn't right and I got in trouble. And you know what I had to do? Oh, I got several things happened, but not the least of which was to repay the, um, the school district. My cousins and I had to do that. We had to buy all the lumber that it would take to, to cover up all the windows. It was an old schoolhouse. It wasn't even, nobody had school there for years. But we had to cover up. And then we had to clean it all up. We had to pick up every book that we threw through the windows, take it back inside and stack it in a case. You see, there were consequences to that Sunday afternoon. That was just one of the few, many times that things like that happened in my life. But whenever we do that, whenever we do that and we sense and feel the forgiveness, and I remember, man, all of us, after we got done fixing it up at that crazy schoolhouse, I remember seeing it, and I remember thinking, I'm sure glad that's over. There was a relief that came, a good feeling that everything was all right again with my cousins and with their their parents and with my dad and mom and even with my grandparents. There's another thing about this forgiveness that's kind of important, and that is where I forgive me. That's often very hard for many of us to forgive ourselves. Easier to ask God for, for forgiveness than it is to admit our sinfulness to ourselves. We do our best to excuse ourselves or make light of the seriousness of our sin. Oh, it's not that bad. It would almost seem that we have a higher standard for ourselves than God has. When you stop to think about it, that's exactly what it means. We don't like to take the blame for failure, so we try to pass it on. That old Flip Wilson statement, the devil made me do it, Very convenient statement to use from time to time. Takes all the pressure off of us, doesn't it? And even an older statement that Adam made Eve, the woman, made me do it. But many people go through life believing it is just not their fault, or in some cases, they absolve themselves totally of all blame. But when we have failed, we need to forgive ourselves let me just tell you what forgiveness forgiving ourselves is really all about forgiving yourself means one I accept my humanity as a human being second I have the freedom to fail isn't that a great freedom the freedom to fail I accept responsibility for my failures I can forgive myself for my failures I accept God's forgiveness and I can begin again anew Many folks live under the yoke of self-imposed guilt simply because they will not forgive themselves. They are unable to accept the fact that to be human means that you will make mistakes, but that you can't experience the unbelievable magic of forgiveness. The third thing I would throw out is, I forgive that person that hurt me. Whoa, we are going along pretty good until we came to that one, right? I forgive that person who hurt me. I did divorce recovery for about 20-some years as a part of my ministry with single adults. And it was always fun. We always had great experiences. And, um, and yet whenever we would come to this part in a, in a workshop and we talk about you need to forgive that person who hurt you, almost, almost invariably people would say, Oh, I could never do that. You don't know what they did. And that's true, I didn't know. But I knew what they needed to do about it. It is imperative that we forgive the person who hurt us. And you may be thinking, well, I can't do that. I won't even try. <coughs> when we're caught in the heat of an argument or highly emotional situation, forgiveness is usually the last thing that comes to our mind. Forgiveness is not an instant thing, neither, it's a process. It's a process we grow into. and People in the divorce experience often want to forgive their ex-spouse so badly that they rush over to do it. I've had several workshops where, where people have said, you know, I, uh, I, I really do want to ask my ex to forgive me, so I'm going over right after workshop. And their ex happens to be having a party at his house or her house that night, and so they walk in. Knock on the door, her ex spouse comes to the door, and they go, Why are you doing here? I got something to tell you. So they walk right in, and in the midst of a bunch of friends, they say to their ex spouse, I need you to forgive, I, I want to ask you to forgive me for the part I played in the failure of our marriage. That's usually bad timing, folks. <laughs> That's not when you want to do that. So it is important that we understand that forgiving, asking that person to forgive us is important. Timing is also important. Uh, a few weeks ago, Scott had us do this little exercise about how to resolve a, an issue we have with others. Do you remember? Some of you? It was, it was impactful, Scott. Um, well, okay. I remembered, so I'm gonna we're going to refresh our memories, okay? He said, he divided us into two groups. And he said, okay, over here, I want you to say... I'm sorry. And what did you do? I'm, oh, that's bad. Say it again. I'm sorry. Yeah. One more time. I'm sorry. And over here, they said, please forgive me. Please forgive me. That's not it, guys. That's really weak, too, by the way. But that's not it at all. You thought that's what it was, right? That's what you kind of remembered, but it wasn't that. It was, I am sorry, I was wrong. Then, everybody, please forgive me. You see how easy it is to leave out the I was wrong part? And we think it's just, I'm sorry, please forgive me. How many times do we say that? But we need to say, we need to acknowledge that we played a part in this conflict. All I can tell you is this. The upside of forgiving that person that hurt you is huge. It is recognizing the worth of that other person and that they are worthy of your forgiveness. That they really are forgivable. That's what that's about. A lot of unresolved relationships go on for months, sometimes even years, and they remain hostile and tense, all because we are afraid or or we don't know for sure how to ask for forgiveness from that other person I know people that have simply failed to do it because they never knew what to do, they didn't know how to do it the question we struggle with and I think this is a basic thing that blocks us from doing that is what if that other person doesn't accept my forgiveness, if I ask them to forgive me what if they don't accept it well you put yourself on the line that's for sure and if you ask for the forgiveness and they refuse, or they treat it lightly, or ignore it or laugh it off, or just simply don't respond. So what do you do then? You've done you've laid it out, you've laid yourself out. What do you do then? You know what the answer to that question is? Nothing. You don't do anything. Because you've done all you can do by asking for their forgiveness. You see, you and I, we can't extract forgiveness from somebody else. We can't make them forgive us. All we can do is ask it. And that's our part. And if they ignore you or won't accept your offer, then that's their problem. They'll have to deal with it, but you're off the hook. You've done all you can to resolve the conflict from your perspective. Finally, forgiving and forgetting. You say, I can forgive, but I will never forget. And I agree. On your own, with an attitude like that, you won't. You will not forget. You'll never be able to. Forgiving is hard, but it's not impossible. I think we have to leave the forgetting part up to God. I think we have to let him take care of that. And it sounds so simple, and I know it isn't, but I know it sounds that way. But time is a healer and assists us in being able to forget. As tensions and hurt are erased through forgiveness, we often not always, not only begin to forget the bad experience, but we begin to remember the good ones. And you know, in almost every relationship where there's been conflict, there were some good moments, along with the bad moments. So you can't you need to f- focus on the good. You see, God wants us to have a new beginning. To do this, He brings healing and wholeness into our lives. He gives us the opportunity to start again through the struggles and through the praying into growth. There was a passage of Scripture found in Matthew eighteen twenty-two that says simply this: Jesus was with a desire. Excuse me, with the disciples one day, and uh, they were all talking. And, and one of them had hurt another one, and so they were, they were grousing about that. And all of a sudden, one of them said, Jesus, how many times do I forgive my brother when, they, when he hurts me? 70 times? Jesus looked at him and he said, No. Seventy times seven. Oh, they got their abacus out, and oh my god, that's 490 times. So if I forgive him 490 times, then I just quit. And Jesus said, No. Your forgiveness as mine is limitless, limitless. We need to always forgive. So what about it? Is there someone in your life today that you need to forgive? Is it a friend who now has become almost an enemy? Is there someone in your life whose forgiveness you need? And is it a lack of their forgiveness that keeps you from moving on or at least a lack of asking for it that keeps you from moving on past your pain? Do you need to ask God to help you with this forgiveness thing or do you simply need to ask God to forgive you for your sins right now? You need to ask Him to come into your life, forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all that makes you want to sin and receive His incredible life-changing forgiveness. We experience in relationships in life, what we experience in relationships in life can be devastating, but is never unresolvable, never unrepairable, and never unforgivable. Let's look one more time at this experience of forgiveness.